Tonight's reading is Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as had not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and see the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and I heard swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and half a time, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because of the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end, many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days you will arise and to receive your allotted inheritance. Good evening everybody. Uh, we're looking at Daniel chapter 12 but let's just pray before we start. Father God please help us to understand this chapter as we look at it. Please help us to learn more about you and may it equip us to live for you better this week. Amen. So, we are in Daniel, chapter 12, as I just said, and we're going to kick off by looking at verse 1, because verse 1 says, at that time. And that immediately begs the question, what time are we talking about? What is this chapter referring to? Well, at that time seems to refer back to what Phil was talking about last week. Uh, Daniel was living in exile uh, as a respected old prophet uh, in the Persian Empire about 550 BC uh, and the chapters that we looked at just before this 
were uh, a prophecy to God's people about their future over the centuries that were following that. But as we go into this chapter, there seems to be a slight gear change and the prophecy seems to shift to a, a broader view of a more distant future. It seems to be a description of God's plan for the whole world. And this chapter includes some pretty strange things, doesn't it? We've got people or angels hovering over the waters. We have this abomination of desolation, uh, 1290 days and then 1335 days. Um, and I know certainly that if I'm listening to a sermon on something like that, I'm all agog to know how the preacher is going to deal with all that. So, to put you out of your misery, uh, we're going to look at that first. We're going to have a quick look at those, those, those strange things. And then we're going to focus on what perhaps is more straightforward. We're going to focus on God's plan for the world that he's revealed to us uh, and what we are to do, how we are to react to that. So what is all this stuff in this passage, this short passage about great princes and these numbers of days uh, and the angels and the abomination that causes desolation and so on? Well, the simple answer is I don't know. Actually, it's not just me who doesn't know. Uh, some things are just a mystery to all of us. We simply do not know everything about everything. And I'm not going to labour that point, really, because... Throughout Daniel, we've hit that same issue, and both Phil and more recently Ben have, have touched on that point before. And what they said was simply that these, these verses, they give us a peek into how heaven works. No more. I think lifting the lid was a phrase that Ben used. And they do that to reassure us that God does have a plan but actually the times are in his hands. And beyond that, we can't know. And if you think I'm ducking it, then just look with me at verse 6. Verse 6, the angel asks, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Or verse 8, where Daniel asks, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? And if you look at those questions, neither of them get a complete answer. And almost the last recorded words of Jesus to his friends back in Acts, and they are something similar, and he says, The times and occasions are set by my Father's own authority. It is not for you to know when they will be. So God is letting us know that he is in control, but that actually... He really doesn't have to consult us on his plans for the universe. There are some things, as Job learned, that are just too wonderful for us to know. So let's instead focus on what we do know. And what we do know from this passage is that whatever happens, God saves his people. But that on the other hand, those who reject him are condemned. God saves his people, but those who reject him are condemned. And that's been a theme right the way through the book of Daniel. And it's sort of underlined here in these final verses 
as God's big plan for the universe is set out. In fact, you could say that tucked away in these verses is the whole message of Christianity. This passage tells us that the world's in a mess, but that there is hope for those who trust in the Lord. And we're going to look at that now and then just think at the end a little bit about what that means in practice. First, let's just pick up uh, these verses that describe the world we are in. They're very realistic. Uh, I think it's a picture that says, well, this is the normal state of the world. But it also clearly suggests that things are going to intensify as the world reaches the end uh, of its history. And whether we are believers or not, this is a world that we all are experiencing and will experience. And this passage is here to prepare us for it. And I think the key thing is that this is a world that is characterised by wickedness. Look at verse 10. It says, the wicked will continue to be wicked. It's not a bad verse just to remember sometimes, isn't it, when we look around the world. The wicked will continue to be wicked. Man is never going to create heaven on earth. That's an unrealistic and unbiblical view. The wicked, says God, will continue to be wicked. By the way, when we read that word wicked, it um, you know it, it reads a little bit strangely to us, doesn't it? Uh, I think it's very easy to think of sort of the pantomime villains. Think of Captain Hook or, or Cruella de Vil or someone like that. But, you know, the wicked are very ordinary people. Uh, before we are Christians, we were wicked. The wicked are just those who do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And this verse tells me that people will continue to ignore God. They will continue to reject the Lord Jesus. Verse 10 says, the wicked are people who just do not understand. They do not have God's Holy Spirit in them. And it is perhaps because of that attitude that these other things follow on. So verse 1 talks a time about a time of great distress, distress um, apparently at a national level and without precedent. Verse 2 talks about death. It refers to multitudes who've died. Uh, I think if a, a modern version might talk about millions have died. Death is just part of this fallen world. And verse 4 tells me that people won't understand what is going on. They will rush around looking for answers, but in the wrong place. And for Christians, things might be even worse, or will be even worse. Verse 7 talks about the power of God's people being broken. And if we were to look through the book of Revelation, uh, that seems to indicate quite clearly times of, of persecution against Christians. So, this world we have in this chapter is one dominated by atheism, death, by distress and panic, with Christians especially suffering. Which is not exactly cheerful, is it? But in some ways, it sums up our situation now, doesn't it? Our national life is marked by distress, fear of death not knowing what to do next. This week, the Resolution Foundation said that the average household has seen the biggest hit 
to its household finances since the 1970s. There's been a similar report out about the uh, the status of women in society over the last, uh, the impact has set them back 30 years. And many of us are struggling uh, mentally, emotionally, financially. And of course, right here amongst our own community. Some of you listening, we've had some sad deaths, haven't we, in our own church community. And we recognise the picture that is painted in Daniel 12. The world is not as it should be. It is a mess. And most people in this country, our neighbours, our friends, they have little time for God. But that isn't to say that we are facing the end of the world. But it does mean that these difficult times are all part of God's plan for the universe. Now, there are a number of reasons why that might be the case, and we don't have time to explore all of those now, but one thing that difficulties and distress do is that they encourage us to turn to God, to look to him. But the fact is, actually, that most people don't. Verse 4 says, many will go here and there to increase knowledge. People are looking all over the place for an answer. But actually, they're not looking in the right place. And the right place, actually, is in this chapter. Because this chapter tells me what the answer is. It gives me good news. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 tells me that God is one who protects his people. Everyone whose name is written in the book will be delivered, it says. The idea is some sort of a electoral role of heaven. And although millions experience death, that is not the end. Those millions who have already died, whether hundreds of years ago or whether over the last few days, well, they will rise again. Verse 2 says that those who sleep in the dust will awake. Of course, that includes us in our time as well. So those who trust in the Lord, who put their trust in Jesus, who was the first fruits of resurrection, well, look what these verses promise. Christians can look forward to an everlasting life shining like the brightness of heaven, says verse 3, like stars forever. Verse 10 says we'll be spotless. And like Daniel, look at verse 13, we can look forward to our rest and our allotted inheritance. They're great promises, aren't they? And that's a lovely little word, isn't it? Allotted, our allotted inheritance. It's just tucked in there, isn't it? It's something special just for you and for me. You know, one of the few times I can remember my mum crying was when she got a phone call from my Uncle Harry's housekeeper. Uncle Harry was my mother's only relative, really, uh, and um, he wasn't very rich, quite a poor man, but he, he promised that whatever he had, she would inherit. And the housekeeper phoned to say, Harry had died, and he changed his will, and she was having all the money. And it really broke my mum's heart, because there was someone who said he loved her, who was going to look after her, who changed his mind. Well, 
our future is a lot more secure than Uncle Harry's will. Ephesians 1.14 tells us that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we will receive what God has promised. But let's be clear, we don't all face that future. Verse 2 says that those who reject God, who will not accept Jesus, will face an eternity, look at that phrase, of shame and contempt. You know, if anybody asks you what hell is like, that's not a bad description, is it? An eternity of shame and contempt. Now, it's only a tiny example, but as I was preparing this sermon, I came across an interview with Gareth Southgate. And he was talking about how the fact of his missed penalty in the Euros in 1996 still lives with him. And the mental anguish it still gives him. And that people still look on him, almost with exactly this phrase, of shame and contempt. Well, tiny, tiny example, isn't it? Just a shadow of what Daniel 12 tells us life is like without the Lord in eternity. Daniel 12 paints a picture of a messed up, unpleasant, godless world full of real worry, real distress. But despite that, we're not to be surprised or depressed by these things because God has not lost the plot. Daniel 12 is telling us, no, we have a loving God who offers help and an eternity with him. Simply by turning to him. Well, that's all very well, you may say. That's all a bit pie in the sky. That's the future. But what about now? Frankly, I am worried sick about my health, my family's health, uh, my finances, uh, futures. Uh, For us Christians, well, we're under attack, aren't we? We can't praise God. We can't greet each other properly. We can't even meet together properly. The devil seems to be having a field day. Some ways health has become the new idol, the new abomination. So what am I actually supposed to do as a Christian in this situation that we're facing? Well, it's interesting. At the end of this chapter, look what the Lord says to Daniel. The very closing words of the book of Daniel. Face that all that Daniel has seen and all this mess that he's just experienced in this vision. What is Daniel to do? Verse 13, what does the Lord say? As for you, go your way until the end. Notice the Lord doesn't say, does Daniel go away? Or neither does he say, go away and lie down, have a rest. He says, go your way. So what was Daniel's way? And that's a chance to think back on the book and these chapters, isn't it? And think, what have we seen? And we've seen a man 100% committed to God, with God 100% committed to him. That was Daniel's way. Whatever life threw at him, he stuck with God. And God stuck with him. I think we can sum up Daniel's way of life as someone who proclaimed his faith, professed his faith and practised it. 
That comes from the Catholic Catechism, by the way. But we proclaim our faith, we profess it, and we practice it. Remember how Daniel refuses or refused to accept the king's menu choices in chapter 1. Daniel proclaimed his faith by his actions. And we need to do the same. We live out our faith, even in the toughest of situations. And then remember Daniel, full of the Holy Spirit, talking to Nebuchadnezzar and later later on to Belshazzar. He spoke God's truth even when he was scared stiff. And he must have been. And we need to do the same now, don't we? We profess our faith whenever we are called to. If we're Christians, we speak up. And then we practice our faith. Remember Daniel's daily prayers in chapter 3, even when he was facing the fiery furnace and all that story. He kept praying. He was practicing his faith. And actually, practicing our faith is really quite difficult at the moment, isn't it? We're tucked away, we're hidden, many of us, in lockdown still. But let's make sure we keep praying, we keep worshipping, and especially, can I say, keep gathering together. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The fact is, I think to our shame, many of us are saying to ourselves, well, I was rather sad when they said to me, I should go up to the house of the Lord because I'm more comfortable at home. It's easier. I can hide away. Well, you know, we need each other. I lose out if you're not with me in church and you lose out by not being with other Christians. We encourage each other. Even if we do have to wear these wretched mask things, uh, it's still better that we gather. So what is Daniel's way for us? Well, Daniel's way is we profess our faith, we proclaim it, and we practice it. Last week, Phil was talking about uh, resisting in the world. And that's really the practical way that we do it, by proclaiming, professing, and practicing it. Here's another way of putting it. Uh, I didn't quite know where to put this in, but I just liked it uh, so much uh, from one of the commentaries. Psalm 11 verse 5 asks, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And one preacher answered that very simply by saying, well, just carry on being righteous, of course. Not a bad summary. So we've got to the end of Daniel. It's a book that tells us that God is in charge, whatever happens. Even though we don't know it all, we do know that we have a great God who saves and promises a fantastic, everlasting life for anyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus. And that life can start as soon as we make the decision to follow the Lord. So this week, let us go our ways as Daniel did. And let's be practising our faith, proclaiming our faith, and professing it. Let's proclaim that the Lord about the Lord Jesus until he comes. Amen. <laughs>